Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. A podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith. For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And we are your co-hosts. This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are continuing our series on ancient Jewish wedding customs in the Bible. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the 10 virgins. But before we hop off into there, I thought maybe uh, Jonathan could share real quickly. Jonathan, why don't you share with our listeners your favorite moment at your wedding of being married to your beautiful reptile-loving wife, Elizabeth? (laughs) Yeah, so our... Our wedding, um, so we basically we we eloped, right? There was there was a, a whole lot of all this back and forth at the time. Um, so we met the minister at the park, um, wow. just public park, on a Wednesday morning. Um, we we got married there, um, uh, just us, and then uh, went to work. <laughs> this, uh, went actually, to work. I, I went to work. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, because it was middle of the week. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because it was just like, hey, you know, why, why even try to say, oh, we'll pick the perfect day time? Just, just do it now, okay? And so we did. Uh, and so I went to work that day. It was on a Wednesday, and uh, coworkers were like, you know, hey, you're, you know, because I got there about nine thirty. Normally, I was there by like eight thirty. Right. You know, yes. like, hey, you're, you're a little bit late. Like, you're the, usually you're the first one here. Like, we all beat you today. And I was like, yeah, I was a little preoccupied this morning. And they're like, oh yeah, what'd you do? I was like, I got married. And they laughed and like oh, that's that's funny. No, I'm serious. I was like, no, really. I I legit got married this morning, and they they couldn't comprehend it. And one of my my uh, coworkers, she was like, wait, are are you serious right now? I was like, yeah. She was, then why are you here? Right. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, I you know, I I because you know, I'm I'm remarried, so I already had mm. four kids um, mm. coming into to my marriage now, and. So it wasn't like, oh, well, we'll just leave the wedding and then we'll go on our honeymoon. Like we we didn't even have one, right? right. Because again, we got married in 2020, so there's already four kids. So yeah. that's that's more more than enough to try to manage there. And then immediately everything shut down because again, 2020, right? Yes. So we got married in January, and I lost my job in March, and I was unemployed for eight months. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and so then of course again everything shut down. Um, so what we managed was a couple weeks after we got married, we took a family trip for three days to Gatlinburg, um, Ooh. stayed in a cabin. It was early February. It snowed. Um, it's all a couple bears, you know, so we, we did that in, instead. So that was kind of my, my fun little anecdote. Interesting. Wow. That is the first time I've ever heard of somebody getting married on a Wednesday morning and then they went to work and then and went to work. Then yep. They had a honeymoon in Gatlinburg with their for children. <laughs> yep. yep. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Well, we have a fun discussion today about the parable of the uh, 10 virgins. So let's hop in there, Jonathan, what you got for us today. All right. So again, we're, we're continuing this series, this kind of this theme on marriage and betrothal in the Bible. Um, and there's a great illustration of this concept uh, and these cultural items, you know, kind of like what we've been looking at, um, found in what is arguably, and I would say this definitively, um, one of the most confusing parables of Yeshua. And it's sort of confusing in a in a paradoxical way, because the parable itself, the ultimate point of it, is very easy to understand. It's very easy to grasp the ultimate point. But some of the, the specific elements along the way, like we'll look at here in a minute, uh, are what gets so confusing. 
Um, so first, I think it'd be helpful to give kind of a, a rundown of the narrative. I'm not going to read all 13 verses directly. Um, that's homework assignment for the listeners, right? So if you haven't read it, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, again, just 13 verses. Um, but basically, it comes in and Yeshua compares the kingdom of heaven to 10 bridesmaids, right? The 10 virgins. Um, now he's been comparing the kingdom of heaven to other things for quite some time, right? In Matthew 13, he compares it to a lot of things. And I think oftentimes we, we think of parables in isolation. We hear a teaching on one parable versus another. But if you actually just read through, especially all of Matthew 13, but if you read through the parables, you see, um, he says, to what shall I compare the kingdom? It is like a, he says that a lot. There's a lot of things the kingdom gets compared to. So for this parable, he says, the kingdom is like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five are called wise and five are called foolish. The differentiating factor here is that the wise took extra oil for their lamps while the foolish did not, right? So the first thing to point out here is how this relates to, again, this, this kind of ongoing theme and study we've been looking at um, on, on wedding and, and marriage customs. So in many first century Jewish weddings, as we've talked about before, the bridegroom goes away after the betrothal period, right? Mm-hmm. So again, there the betrothal is announced. It's basically like, hey, it's official. These two will be married. And for all intents and purposes, legally speaking, they are married, right? You like think of you like did, all the... You went to work. Right. That's what you did. You went to yeah. I mean, basically, right. I went to I went to prepare a <laughs> office space. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. But <clears throat> but yeah. So, again, for all intents and purposes, they are legally married. You know, if you put this into like a, a modern American context, it's kind of like betrothal is like, OK, well, you're going to start filing taxes together. You're going to start, um, you know, like uh, you go on each other's insurance plans, you know, those sorts of things that you can only do once you're legally married. Like those sort of things are all there. The only thing you don't do is sleep together, right? That's the that's the thing you're not doing in the in the betrothal period um, during the the first century in the the Jewish culture, right? So again, he would go away. He would prepare a place for his wife, for his his new uh, joined together family, right? He would prepare a home. So this period of betrothal could vary. We mentioned that previously as well, but typically it was common for it to be about a year, right? Not exactly 365 days because. There's no need to stay and watch and wonder, oh, when will he go? You know, and all of that. Um, But again, about a year. Uh, Oftentimes, the father of the groom would announce the coming of the bridegroom without much notice. So the bride who's waiting and her bridesmaids, right? The the others, basically, this would normally be her friends, um, oftentimes relatives. It could be uh, sisters that haven't uh, been married yet. could be cousins, right? Because again, like Heather mentioned before, you know, these are these are communities that live very close together. Right. Oftentimes, even in the same building, like you may have, you know, a couple rooms off to the side that are yours, but it's the same overall building as some of your family and extended family. So these would typically be the bridesmaids. Right. It's not like, you know, your five best friends from college. Right. It's typically younger sister. It's your cousin. um, It's an actual relative from your tribe. Right. So uh, they need to be ready and be ready at any time for when the, the announcement is made. Hey, the bridegroom has come. Now, the festivities as we think of them today, we hold festivals most of the time during the daylight, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want to see things. You know, you think of like the food truck festival, all the food trucks pull up alongside and we go around and we get tacos and we get Korean barbecue and all the delicious stuff. It happens during the day, right? Most, you know, parades, Macy's Day, you know, Thanksgiving Day Parade, you know, they're not doing that at night, right? Um, But for people without central heat and air, 
for people without refrigeration, right? Many times celebrations took place while it was dark. Um, in fact, during Sukkot, there's a whole festival of light that happens during Sukkot um, and Hanukkah, but that's, you know, a few weeks later. But during Sukkot, there's this whole thing that happens at night. And again, the typical, typically the reason it happens at night is because if it's 104 degrees outside during the day, it's kind of hard to party, right, uh, outdoors. So you do these things at night. And the same is true for wedding celebrations. So it's common for a wedding party to proceed during the night, right, when they go from one place to the next. So typically the order of operations would be something like the groom's father would announce his arrival. The groom would come and he'd make his way to the bride's home or really her parents' home, right? Again, because we're, we're talking these communal units um, where he'd be joined by the bride and the bridal party. And then they would proceed to the groom's home, this new place that he has now gotten ready during this time that he's yeah. been away. He's prepared this place to come in and, and receive his bride. So that's where we see these 10 virgins, these, these bridesmaids, right? Yeah. And they're tasked with carrying torches because they needed to light the way to the groom's house. Um, one fun fact here, and, and typically if you look at it in a children's storybook, in you know Bible illustrations and things, you see that the, the tiny little clay lamps, right? They're the little yeah. um, sort of almost like a little circle with a, you know, almost like a uh, kind of a triangular shape off the tip of it. You pour oil in it. You light the, the wick on the end. Um, these are not the sort of lamps that are being discussed here. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, you're not going to carry these and light the way outside make, you know, for a whole group of people, right? They don't produce enough light. Um, but that's not what's being discussed here. So these lamps specifically um, are, you know, torches for nighttime events, right? These are your, mm-hmm. your Indiana Jones stick wrapped with a soaked cloth kind of torch, yes. right? Um, yeah. Because you need to, to show a lot of light. Right. Sure. So that's that's the image to have in mind as you think of this this procession going and you have these 10 young women that are out there carrying torches. They're not, you know, cradling this tiny little lamp that fits in one hand made out of clay like they're holding torches. OK, they're like so get, get that image. Princess. Yeah. Yeah. Going yeah. I mean, you know, get, get that kind of get that kind of image um, in your mind as we go forward here. Yeah. Um, so uh, the oil. Right. To run out of oil meant you didn't have enough to soak additional cloth and thus your torch would burn out. So again, imagine if this tiny little lamp burns out, well, you're not missing much because it's so small you don't get much light for it anyway. But if you have this torch that needs to create enough light for many different people and it burns out, your whole section of this, you know, proceeding party now is in the dark, quite literally. So to the interpretation of the parable, right? Um, And again, to kind of the, the, the the general overview, five are wise, five are foolish. Um, The foolish went out. Um, and they did not take extra oil for their, their lamps or their torches, right? The wise took oil flasks. Um, so the groom was late. He was delaying. They don't know why. Uh, they didn't know when he would come. They all became drowsy. They all went to sleep. All 10 of them, wise and foolish alike. Mm-hmm. At midnight, the shout goes out, behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Um, they all get up. They, they get their, their torches ready. They go out to meet him. Um, but the foolish ones didn't have enough oil. They said, our, 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 our lamps are going out. Give us some of your oil. And the wise virgins say, no, nope, there's not enough. Um, if we gave some to you, there wouldn't be enough for us. So just go to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. And while the foolish were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came, the party proceeded with him. They went into the wedding feast and the door was shut. And then the other virgins came afterwards and they said, Lord, open for us. And he said, truly, I don't know you. And then Yeshua's final warning in, in verse 13 is, be on alert then because you do not know the day nor the hour. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So again, all 10 of them here get drowsy and fall asleep, right? Because they're waiting. They've been waiting so long and they don't know when this guy's going to show up. Right. Right. Like anybody else would, they get drowsy, they fall asleep. Um, all 10 of them wake up. So the call goes out. The bridegroom has come. Behold, come out to meet him. They all get up. Um, but the five foolish have run out of oil. Right. So they ask some from the wise. Again, the wise refuse. Um, so the reason that this, uh, I said at the beginning, this is kind of a, a very difficult sort of parable to understand, um, is it's, it's kind of multifaceted. For starters, the parable does not immediately make clear what is arguably the most crucial element of the story, right? And that is the oil. What does the oil actually mean? What does it actually represent? So there's a bunch of different theories here. Um, one is that it refers to faith. Right. That is that the wise had more faith than the foolish. This was actually Martin Luther's view. Right. So Luther viewed um, this as a, as measures of faith. So the wise had more faith and the foolish did not. And that's why they were left out. They were not invited into the wedding feast um, and they came late. The issue, though, is how do you go about storing up more faith? Like, how do I have more faith stores than you do? Right. Mm. So that's one question. Um, a bigger question. How do I buy it? Who are these merchants that I can go to and say, hey, give me more faith? <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and this part of the parable is actually what makes it most problematic for, in my opinion, really all the the, the major interpretations. Sure. Um, another common way of viewing this, especially in charismatic circles um, and even a lot of uh, Messianic Jewish um, un- uh, circles, groups, understandings, um, builds on the work of John Welverd, and that's to take the oil as a reference to the Ruach, right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, in some groups, and I've heard it taught this way in Messianic groups before, um, this is just kind of the, it's just taken for granted that the oil, right, which is anointing, is a reference to the Spirit. But again, then we're still met with the same problem. How do I go buy more spiritual anointing, right? Um, I seem to recall a certain magician from the book of Acts who wanted to buy that and it didn't end well for him, right? So I can't imagine that the wise women would have said, oh, go buy more of the Holy Spirit. Right. right? That's true. That doesn't seem to fit. Never mind the fact that there are apparently vendors open at midnight to sell the Holy Spirit. Apparently. Right? So again, that to me, it, it doesn't really fit. Um, yeah. Another option is that the oil refers to good works, right? Perhaps mm-hmm. charity. Um, treating others properly. So in this case, the five foolish did not do the works they were instructed to do while the five wise did. Um, Some commentators have also theorized that the sellers of oil are the poor people, right? The ones that need the acts of charity done for them and the wise are the ones doing it um, or perhaps the wise are the ones giving alms and the the sellers of oil are the poor um, that bestow merit on those who would give to them. So once again, though, same problem. How do you go about purchasing good works at midnight, right? Um, So in many of Yeshua's parables, the elements he uses are common fare for parables, right? Um, He uses a lot of different items and objects, a field, a a farmer, a son, um, a father, uh, a king, a prince, servant, um, slaves. He uses these images that are commonly found in parables. Um, That's not the case here. Oil is not a common element in first century parables. And there's actually no direct correlation within rabbinic writings either. So we can't even say, okay, well, a couple centuries later, what did Rabbi so-and-so say in his parable? How did he use the oil? Let's, let's go there and then kind of work back. You can't, even, you can't even attempt to do that because, again, oil was not a, a common uh, parabolic element. Um, 
So again, these are some of the issues with really all the different interpretive methods. And I personally have yeah. not found one that I think is the perfect fit, but I do yes. think it's a good fun bit of uh, fun bit of homework. Um, yeah. But uh, like I said, I, I will say this and I think we can, you know, kind of wrap up the, the parable discussion and it's meaning pretty well. First, we know the overarching theme, right? Like I said at the beginning, it's really easy to understand the overarching theme is be ready, right? Yes. Watch and be ready because you don't know when it's going to happen. Um, so regardless of what the oil is, we know that believers, those waiting for the bridegroom's return, we have the oil, right? If we have the expectation that we will be going into the wedding feast, we know we have it. We can argue about what it is. We know, right, the spiritual substance and strength that comes from God's word that nourishes and prepares believers to endure till the end. Uh, that's how Ben Witherington describes it. That's how he describes the oil, right? Again, that's the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual substance and strength that comes from God's word that nourishes and prepares the believer to endure till the end. That's what he says is basically the way to understand the oil there. Yeah, um, but again, whatever more specifically that may be, we as believers possess it. Uh, we possess it in measure to choices that are within our own power to effect, right? That's what made the wise virgins wise when they exercised their choice. They were prepared. Um, the others also fell asleep, right? Um, so we don't need to take sleeping as symbolic of backsliding or apostasy or anything like that. Again, the wise fell asleep also. Falling asleep was the natural response to it taking so long and the body just needs rest, right? So that itself is not a negative thing. What set the wise apart was even though the wedding, the waiting went on for longer than they had anticipated, and even though they did fall asleep, just like the foolish, when they awoke, they were prepared for the groom when he arrived. So for youth ministers, I think it's a very important point to drive home as you're discipling young people, right? Yeah. And that is that, that we need to make sure these kids are growing up aware that while Yeshua may or may not return in their lifetime, they have to be prepared as if he's coming back now in one minute, tomorrow, one day, one week, right? That's kind of the, the crux of this parable is we all fall asleep, right? Um, we all wait on his return together. And we have since he ascended. So for nearly 2,000 years now, we've still been waiting. Um, but only those that are prepared, right? which we could at least on the surface define as those who live with Yeshua as their king, right? Yeah. Only those are the ones who will enter into the kingdom with him. That's good. Yeah, I was not aware of that thing that you mentioned about the the bridegroom's father would announce his arrival. That's really interesting because, I mean, essentially God's going to tell Yeshua when to return, right? And so it's it's that's fun. That's so fun. That's a neat little tie-in. And the fun little... Uh, visual that we can give teachers that these girls were carrying massive torches. That's fun too, um, which will always grab the attention of every junior high boy. So um, <laughs> have fun with that. Uh, so, so this has been a fun conversation about uh, that kind of like really wraps up. I think really kind of tied a bow on uh, the last couple conversations that we've had uh, as it really helps us contextualize these Jewish wedding customs as Jesus is teaching about them in uh, the Gospels. So, friends, thanks again for joining this episode. Thanks, Jonathan, for leading a great teaching discussion today. And we'll catch you next time. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye.